This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Ugh. Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello! I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What is up, my sinners? It is Monday morning, January 16th, I'm going to say. I don't even know. I don't, you know what? It doesn't matter what day it is. It just doesn't matter. 2017 has just been so good so far. Are you guys having a good year? I'm having a great year. I'm down to 171 pounds. That's five pounds. I lost five pounds in two weeks. Perfect. I'm eating lots of salads. I've been making my own uh, Thai soup, making some Vietnamese uh, uh fresh rolls. It's, it's been really, really awesome for me. I'm really enjoying my 2017. I hope you are so far as well. Welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional band. And this week, we have a great show. I have Max from the Arkells. And man, if you're American, you might not know the Arkells. Um, you're going to, I think. I think you're going to know about them really soon. They're a Canadian band. They are from Hamilton, Ontario, which is only about 30 minutes from where I grew up. And up here in Canada, the Arkells are a big deal. They just headlined two sold-out seated shows at Massey Hall, which is a super, super iconic venue in Toronto. They've got at least two number one songs on the radio. They've been nominated and won Juno Awards, which is like the Canadian Grammys. So they are doing awesome. And Max is a super, super nice guy. This conversation is awesome. But they're on tour right now with Frank Turner in the U.S. That's how I hooked up with Max, actually. That's how I met Max. So please, if Frank and Max are coming through your hometown, be sure to pick up tickets. Do not miss that show because the Arkells are definitely a live band. I want to thank everybody who reached out to me last week after the Davy Muse episode. Wow, what a story that guy had. If you missed last week, please go back and check it out. I mean, we got like 60 back episodes. So yeah, go go ahead. Go listen to them all. If you're just getting into the show now because you're Canadian and you love the Arkells, welcome. Great to have you along. Also, as I'm going to be plugging probably for the next forever, uh, we have started the All Access Club. And how it works is for as little as $6 a month, you can join the All Access Club. You can be a part of this thing. You can help us keep the lights on. You can help this thing grow. And in return, you get a bunch of extra content, bonus episodes, a monthly Q&A with me. It was really fun, actually. We did our first one just a little while ago. Hung out and chat on there. I played a few songs. It was a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody who was there. 
You also get access to the very inexpensive Lead Singer Syndrome merch store, which is about to pop up. And of course, I send you a bunch of stuff in the mail. And the longer you're a part of the club, the more stuff you get. So all I ask is you go on the website, check it out, see if there's something right there for you. Don't worry. The show will always be free. So check out leadsingersyndrome.com slash allaccess. Again, that is leadsingersyndrome.com slash allaccess. Before we jump in, I want to remind you, I love to hear from you guys. I love to hear the feedback, positive, negative, neutral, whatever it is. So please get in touch. Again, Twitter is at leadsingersyn, S-Y-N. Instagram, we're at leadsingersyndrome. And of course, good old-fashioned email is leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to this, and without further ado, here's my conversation with Max Kerman of the Arkells. There he is. Hey, how's it going? Great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, just hanging out at home. Where are you? Where are you right now? I am also at home. Nice. Which is probably not too far from your home. Are, are you in Liberty Village though? Or are you in Burlington? I am currently in at my parents' house in Oakville. Actually. Oh, okay. Cool. Right there. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I grew up here in Oakville, and uh, yeah, I lived in Toronto for oh like six years. Okay. And yeah, Liberty Village was my my stomping grounds for a time, and now I'm just sort of like I'm kind of in a weird place. I'm like doing some Airbnbs here and there, uh, all my stuff's in storage. I'm kind of roaming around, so it's uh, it's been fun. It's been different. Well, if you if you're not a hoarder and you can pack light, you can do that pretty easily these days. As long as you got your laptop. You're oh yeah, go. yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> like people, like I tell people this. And people, like some people look at me like I'm out absolutely fucking crazy. But they'll just say, like, I could never do that. And the fact is, I totally understand how people couldn't, you know, couldn't do that. But for me and for you, like, we've been living out of a suitcase for, like, the last de- better part of a decade. Totally. So we're used to it, you know? I'm like, yeah, shit. I'm used to being in, like, a different hotel room every night. So a different, like, Airbnb every couple weeks is, like, for me, is, like, actually more luxurious. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you know, when I don't get me wrong, I like sleeping in my own bed, but when people are like, I really just need a night in my own bed, I'm I kinda like don't identify with that so much. I'm just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess it's nice, but I'm do whatever I could sleep, you know, on a couch or in a hotel or Airbnb yeah. or wherever. Yeah, no, it's for me I think like more so the than the bed is uh the shower. Like I, uh, my own shower is just like it speaks to my soul. You know? There you go. Uh, you must have a nice shower. My my shower at home is like not even that great. So uh, when when I, you're in a nice hotel and it's a nice shower, I'm like, oh, I could live here. Oh, right, 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 right. No, but I'm not talking really about hotel showers as much as, much as like you know, like a dirty venue shower in like Hungary or something. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Oh. Like, <laughs> I, we we could go on about European hotels and and like you know Europeans because of the size of, you know, the countries and how many people live in them, like are pretty used to having to like share close quarters. I feel like compared to like big fat American beds and big yeah. fat American hotels Absolutely. and hallways. But when you go to a, like a little 
like uh, what's it like uh, what's that ho- ibis hotel yeah uh, chain oh man those like they, they managed to pack like three beds and a bathroom and a shower within like 20 square feet it's, i know it's crazy. <laughs> i know it's funny japan's like that too oh we've never been yeah, oh you've you never been, been to there? japan that's that's crazy i can't believe that no oh you guys been. you guys gotta go you guys gotta go well, you guys have like records to. out over there and stuff yeah, somebody actually uh, sent a photo of like one of our records, like in a record shop in Japan. So they exist over there, but I don't know. Yeah. I feel like there's so many places to, to tour in the world. You kind of got to prioritize a little bit. I don't know anybody in Japan screaming for us, so we'll stick to places that we're a little more familiar with, at least yeah. for the time being. No, but, I, I get that. It's funny, actually. I, I think Frank Turner told me he'd never been to Japan either, which is funny. Oh, really? and, that's, huh. and that's how we. Um, how we are hooked up, right? I mean, that's, that's how right. we met through Frank at the, and at the uh, after party at the when he was DJing at the Velvet. Yeah, was it Velvet Underground? Is that yeah, it was? exactly Velvet Underground, which was hilarious because you know earlier that day Frank um, hung out with Frank in his hotel room, and um, your show, uh, which I want to talk all about the shows and everything. Your shows were completely sold out. They couldn't even get me in. I guess because it's seated, it's really? harder. Yeah, they couldn't <laughs> even get me in. All the seats were filled, so. Um, so Frank's like, fuck, I can't get you in, but you know what, dude, come to the after party. So I brought like my, you know, my three buddies, whatever. And Frank got so drunk, uh, <laughs> he had to bail. Uh, oh, like, really? <laughs> I don't know if you, yeah, I think he might have left already at that point, but he, he, uh, he had to bail. And then my buddy just like was up there with Frank's computer, like just DJing. <laughs> And oh, the, really? <laughs> all the kids that came were like, who's this guy? What's going on? And I guess like the laptop like fucked up and just started making like weird sounds and he didn't know what to do so he just closed the laptop turned it off and the club turned the lights on and that was the end of the night and the end of the <laughs> night like and it wasn't even that late it was like maybe like 10 after one. Oh, that's so funny you know nothing nothing like sobering up a, a nightclub by just turning on the house lights you know just like, <laughs> yeah. just like uh, get back to reality yeah man <laughs> yeah no but he was saying that about japan too and it's it's interesting uh yeah like uh, you think just you know the spillover from you know being on whatever major labels kind of just pushing it around the world to their different distributors would kind of have some effect. But I mean, as you guys know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you guys have this massive popularity in Canada and I'm sure you get this question all the time, but it's like, what is it like to, you know, have huge popularity in Canada? We have like number one singles and all this shit. And then you go to like, you know, Salt Lake city, Utah. And you're like, my friend saw you there and he's like, yeah, and they're just like up there being like, yeah, what songs do you guys want to hear? And there's like less, and there's probably like you know less than a hundred people there. Oh, totally. Well, you know, we've never had the attitude that we're entitled to anything. Period. So I think when you go in with that attitude, it's it keeps um, it keeps your head on straight because you're grateful for when anybody shows up. Period. So sure. Um, and that's not being like falsely modest or anything. I think we've like probably seven years ago exceeded anything that we ever thought we'd get uh, like with this band in terms of like recognition or, you know, things like getting played on the radio or touring with bigger bands. Like those are all things we never would have been able to conceive of when we first started. So that's number one. And number two, I think the, the one of the things I love about being in a band is that, you know, a lot the work you put in, like I like to believe that at least the work you put in, it's sort of representative of like what you get back from it. So yeah. we had never been to Salt Lake City. And as much as the internet helps connect people and as much as the internet, 
you know, connects music scenes like, you know, the, the punk scene or the, you know, NPR music community or whatever, that could be really helpful. There's no substitute for just going there. So, yeah. you know, we, we've never had the expectation um, that we should show up and for the first time we play Albuquerque, that there should be 500 people there screaming <laughs> our name. Like we've never had, you know what I mean? Because that just doesn't make sense. It's like, why would they? We never have been there. We haven't made friends with the local music community there. And, um, you know, I think that's a big part of growing the band. So, and we know that from experience because the first time we ever played, you know, Thunder Bay, there was maybe less than a hundred people there. Sure. But then sure. if you deliver a good show and you make a genuine, authentic connection with the people at the show, then word will spread around, you know, people will be excited for the next time you go back. And that's how you, I think you, you grow a crowd in a really organic way. And if you, if you're one of those bands that has like, you know, one in a million single that just like catches fire on the radio or is in a movie or something and you can show up to town and there's a thousand people waiting for you, then God bless you. That's amazing. Yeah, but and, great. But that's great for that one show or maybe that year or maybe a year and a half. But then what happens? But how right? sustainable? That's, yeah, how that's sustainable the is worst, it? man. Like I, you know, people always say, like, right, right, you know, right now, Silverstein, we have a song actually getting played in the radio. Um, you know, a couple radio stations are like, yeah, we're gonna play you, and that's really the first time we've had legitimate, you know, uh, commercial radio play, like added, you know, like legit, and. A lot of people were like, that's crazy. You guys never had that. And I'm like, thank fucking God we never had that. Like the, <laughs> like the last thing I would want is to be like, like you know, a plain white tease. Hey there, Delilah. No offense. They're my friends. Those guys are great. But do you know what I mean? You have that kind of um, song that explodes and it's this huge thing that's outside of your realm. And you, it's, it's like it's too far away. You can't control it anymore. And, and you're putting your career out of your control. Like, you know, you guys have managed to kind of ride this line where you have these big songs and you have you're getting this mainstream attention you know congrats on all that yet in you canada, still have yeah. yeah in canada right in canada and you but you still have your um you still have your fan base that's that's diehard and i think part of it is a few minutes ago you used the word genuine and that to me is something that when i think of your band really comes across is that something that's important to you yeah i mean i think um yeah, I, I like to think that like, and I said I know I just said this, but it's like I'm really like ecstatic when people you know go out of their way to spend time with our music or spend money on coming to a show, um, and I definitely don't take for that for granted. And I think like in part it's because you know I, I'm a pretty keen observer of other people, generally speaking, and I've and I witnessed the way uh, you know other bands interact with their fans, and I always admire the ones that are genuine and authentic and that, you know, just talk to their fans like they're normal people and sure. like aren't, aren't up on some pedestal. Yeah. Like, you know, Frank, Frank's actually a really great example of that. Frank yeah, treats everybody sure the same. He treats everybody the same. And, um, he, he doesn't take anything for granted because for him it's the same. It's been similar. It's like, it's been a slow growth. It's not like he came out of the gate, like with a number one song, you know, he started touring America in 2007 yeah. and like, and everybody that we met on, on the American dates says, Oh, you know, the first time I saw Frank Turner, I saw him at like, um, like a beer festival in Minnesota. And then the <laughs> next time I saw him, he opened for flogging Molly. And then the next time I saw him, I got to see him at an after party for Lollapalooza. And then the next time I saw him headline a little club. And so it's like all these little experiences that, um, that kind of will develop a, a, a fan's relationship with a band. And I think if there's like, if there's something that seems like sincere about our band, it's because 
we've developed this rapport with our fans. It was like, oh, we saw you, you know, play my Frosh Week. And then I saw you at the Dakota Tavern. And then you hopped on stage with another band. And those are all just like little moments that can, you know, tie together Absolutely. To, 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 to create something meaningful. Um, and yeah, you know, another guy who I love, um, I really look up to is Joel Plaskett. And he's like yeah. one of my favorite, favorite songwriters. And he's another guy who just treats everybody really well. Like, I like to think that if I've if I've seen someone in the crowd at like four shows, there's a good chance I'll be like, oh hey, I remember you. I saw you in Sault Ste. Marie, like, or yeah. like at least have some facial recognition. And that's not me being like a particularly like great guy. That's just me being a fucking human being. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and the other thing is, I'd say, is that we uh, we we are very aware that not many musicians get to play their own songs and for a living period right like most most I guys suppose, yeah well think about it it's like most musicians either have to play other people's songs or are you know session guys that kind of have to hop around from gig to gig and or have to work at a coffee shop or at a restaurant the fact that like when it comes to actually like working full-time musicians that play your own songs that you can go out and sing your heart out and there's and there's an audience singing back to you that's actually like a pretty rare thing i think a lot of people would love to have that job if it was easy but it's not easy it's super fucking hard and i'm very aware of that that this is like a, a very precious thing. And so we work really hard at it as a result. Like, you know, today yeah. we, we've been home from tour for, you know, three weeks and it's been a nice break, but like every morning I'm waking up and I have like a good routine where like I play piano for a while. I try to hack away on some lyrics and I send some emails and I think about what a, you know, the tour poster in Vancouver should look like or whatever. And right. I love all, I, I really love it. Like it's well, uh, that's really great. I mean, yeah, yeah. So you'd say you're a bit of a workaholic. So what? Like similar to Frank, I'm definitely like a busybody. Like I, I don't do too well just sitting around. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, so you're in. You live in Hamilton, right? Yeah, I live in Hamilton, downtown Hamilton. I grew up in Toronto, but I went to school at McMaster, so I, I just ended up staying here. Well, let's start. You know what? Let's start from the beginning because uh, I don't know if you've had the chance to tell like really your whole story. And um, you know, I know you're a podcast guy too, which I love. <laughs> like, yeah. like you're a you're probably a bigger podcast fan than than even that i am and you probably know even more about the format than i do and and from what i understand do you actually have your own podcast yeah so a friend yeah i am obsessed with podcasts and i listen to probably like 15 in rotation every week and uh wow i love the, i love the medium you know Damn. i can't even fall asleep with without it anymore if i'm like folding the laundry or if i'm getting some exercise or if i'm sure. going for a walk i got my headphones down but um but yeah, my friend um, Mike Vierman, who's a Hamilton guy, but he works at, at Bell Media. He's like kind of does uh, like the creative ad writing and stuff. Uh, oh, cool. He he and I have a podcast called The Mike on Much. He's the host of it, uh, and we've interviewed. It's similar to this, you know. We interview yeah. people in, in the arts and in music, and uh, and I, and I really just wanted to be a part of something, uh, some, something that's sort of outside of music, uh, just to work another part of my brain. And it's been a, it's a fun little side project just to be able to like develop something different and to be able to, cause I'm, I'm definitely like with the band stuff too, like a big picture guy. Like I'm not good at editing anything. I don't, <laughs> not particularly good with technology or, uh, any of the nitty gritty work, but I do like thinking, okay, the show, you know, the open should last seven minutes. Then the interview, let's, let's listen to it and see what we can cut to make it as tight as possible let's what are we going to do in the close we have our friend shane come on and he tells a funny story and so just trying to sure. develop something and the other thing um 
about podcasts is that like you kind of got to build up a body of work for anybody to pay attention because it's still a very niche genre. So a lot of my favorite podcasts I didn't even hear about until they were 200 episodes in. So yeah. you kind of got to yeah. you, you got to trust that if you're putting on something good and you're developing a rapport with your listeners, they're going to tell their friends. And you know, in a couple of years, maybe people look back and go, "Oh, we got this thing, and we got a, a real following." and a community around the show. And that, I think that's a similar attitude that I have with the band. Uh, of but course. Yeah, These do, things take time. Everything takes time. And you can't expect everyone to to find out about what you're doing like overnight because there's just so much shit out there. That's, you know, that's the truth. Well, but, that is, that's totally the truth. You know, I was talking about music videos uh, with our manager the other day. I was just like, the, the, the hard thing about music videos is I don't really get, care about music videos right, right now in 2016. And in part, it's because you you spend a boatload of money or you get a grant to spend a boatload of money yep. and you it takes two or two or three days out of your life and you're working away at a treatment and you know you, you come up with something that's like kind of cool and looks great and professional because technology offers all that and there's really talented people behind the scenes editing it and filming it but you put it out on you know twitter and it kind of comes and goes in a day and sure it lives on youtube and that's a nice way for people to discover the song but like you, I think there is something to be said for like just generating like not just like a concentrate of content for the sake of content sake, but just for like thinking about it in a very like holistic way where it's like you need to not assume that one thing is going to move the, the needle. It's going to be a bunch of little things that are thoughtful and good that, uh, that will help help you move forward. That's true. I think that's more, that's more the case now than ever. Um, yeah, that's totally. true about music videos. That's really true about music videos. And, and like so many of them we've done, they just kind of go like they just fall by the wayside, and I'm like, oh, shit, only this, yeah. yeah, like we did it. Okay, it was cool. Some people watched it. Then, yep, whatever. And I like, there's videos we've done that I think I've watched like once, you know, and like, <laughs> no, me and, too, like me too. and I went, I'll go back and watch them and be like, oh yeah, that was kind of a cool shot, I guess. Like, but like, you know, it, it is, it is so funny. And the fear I have, you know, as a musician, and not not only as a musician but as a fan of music, is I hope that that doesn't start happening with records you know and i think it's starting to where something comes out and oh how many weeks ago did that come out well whatever on to the next thing and it's like damn man that's that's a scary thing because you know silverstein we're a band we've done like a 10-year anniversary tour of one of our albums like that stood the test of time and our records we're putting out now are people going to care about them in 10 years or are people not even going to remember them in 10 months Okay, well, you know what? If there's one uh, bit of hope that I want to offer to you (laughs) is that what separates a band like Silverstein and Arkells versus, you know, a band that's not necessarily willing to put in the work is that you guys are going to take those songs on the road from like a new record and you're going to give an audience a relationship with each one of those songs in a live environment. So everywhere you go, there's going to be a thousand people that's going to remember that song like the new songs in your set and then gonna it's gonna make create a different meaning for them when they go home and listen to that record and like that's how you stretch things out it's because you're right if you just put out the song and never toured it then people would come and go but if you remain present in people's lives whether you know maybe it's a little music video then they hear the song on the radio then they see you perform live and then they go to a festival and you're there and then you do a reunion tour or like or then yeah, some, sure, one of their sure, yeah, you know it's like it, yeah. those things can, I think those things can kind of add together to, to you know to give hope <laughs> for bands like us because here's I'd say this the reason why I think Springsteen um 
has like why people just revere him so much and have such a deep and special relationship is not necessarily solely based on the strength of those albums. It's because you've had a chance to see him over the years, over and over and over again. And those songs mean something different. Because when I saw him at the Skydome, he opened with a song off Born to, Born in the USA called Working on a Highway. And I never even really liked that song that much. But then I saw him come out on stage with an acoustic guitar and he was shaking his ass and everybody was getting <laughs> into it. And now I love that song. And it's because he went on the road and fucking owned it and made a memory for me. And if you can, if you're a band that can keep on making memories for people, like based yeah. on that recorded material, I think it'll give life to, it's true. To, you know, it's true. Songs. You know, you know, another thing that, that I, I uh, my, one of my favorite bands of all time, if not my favorite band of all time is, is no effects, the punk band. And they're, and they're and like the kings of that they work so fucking hard. Those guys don't stop. They deal. Yeah, they slowed down a little bit, but they're well, doing, a little bit. they're doing like, well, I guess I'm actually, no, what am I talking about? They did like a book, did Fat Mike did a musical. They've done all kinds of shit. I just mean well, like Fat touring Mike wise, I got, yeah. touring wise, they've, they've definitely slowed down a little bit, but yeah, they're still working on all these projects, but it's not, it's, but back to your, your live thing, no effects used to actually have songs that weren't on records that they would play live and people like they had a song about George Bush called idiot son of an asshole. And, um, they would only play that at shows. It's never. It's not recorded, but yet so everybody cool. knew that song. Like everyone would sing it. That's awesome. And to have to have that exist, you know, I mean, that would be such a crazy thing to try to do to play a song only live and not record it, and then, you know, have fans. I mean, I guess it would get, back it, would get it. Boot, it would get bootlegged nowadays on YouTube and everything anyway. So it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same thing. But I, I always thought that that was cool. Um, you know, and. and it, it speaks to your point of of how yeah how how a song can be transformed and 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 can you know take on a different meaning that's really really cool well you got to give it a shot you know it's like you got to go and tour it you got to like <laughs> you can't let it die the day the music video comes out on twitter you know what i mean like that that's my <laughs> attitude and that's the thing with the record it's like why you know i i like thinking about you know every aspect of of the band, whether it's, you know, album art or music video or something to tweet or whatever, because it all like, it all feeds back to the nucleus, which is the songs and, you know, and, and making, making the most of those songs and making them live for as long as possible. Absolutely, man. Well, your first time on the show, um, I would love to start at the beginning and, and hear just kind of how you got into, you know, becoming a musician, uh, you know, what your early life was like and, and kind of what has led you to being, Frontman of the acclaimed Canadian group, the Arkells. <laughs> uh, so, so let's take it from the beginning. You said you grew up in Toronto. Yeah. So, um, which, which part it, exactly? Downtown, like um, right near Kensington Market. So, I, I grew up right, right in the heart of the city. And, Crazy. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how interesting my my personal story is. I know there's other other dudes out there that I think have lived a lot more compelling lives. But, um, but I'm really happy about where I, where I came from. And um, my dad. My dad's actually from New York City, but uh, went to university in downtown Detroit, and then went to social work what, school. Like Wayne in, State or something? Wayne State. Hey, there. How do you know Wayne State? Uh, I I just know a lot of stuff. Okay. <laughs> no, I used to I used to date a girl um, that works at Carmanas um, Cancer Institute, which is part of Wayne State, and I, oh. and she lived actually right there on um, Willis. Okay. Right. Awesome. Right by Wayne State. And, um, yeah, she lived there for a while and then somebody got shot on her doorstep and she had to move. So oh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, you know, Detroit, uh, but yeah, no, I know Wayne state is pretty much the only like 
you know, main university in downtown Detroit that I'm aware of. So I took a guess and I nailed it. You nailed it. So he was there in the sixties and had his own, um, show like a r- campus radio show. Um, Oh, are you there? Oh, hello. Oh, did, did, did I lose you there for a no, second? No, no, I'm here. Oh, sorry. I'll start. I'll, I'll, you can cut this. Um, no, I leave it in. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So he started, um, yeah, like he was a campus DJ at Wayne State University, and he'd get like records like a couple of weeks before they came out. And so as a result, he had all the, like like Sgt. Pepper's like the two weeks before it came out. And he trucked around these records cool. uh, for the next twenty years until I was born. And uh, I grew up with a lot of those records in the house. And my earliest earliest memories of playing music um, were with my dad. He he'd play like you know a Beatles song like "Got to Hide Your Love Away," and I had a little kid guitar. And I was obsessed with the Beatles. The first movie I ever watched was Help. And when I was in kindergarten, I'd bring in like um, Abbey Road into school. And there's a record player in my kindergarten class for some reason. And I'd listen to that during (laughs) playtime. So I was very obsessed with the Beatles from a very young age. And the Beatles and Motown music was basically like all I listened to until about grade seven. (laughs) Um, So that really informed the way I think about songwriting. And yeah, just as that sort of like sense of like musicality like those Motown and Beatles are sort of like the holy grail for me um and when did you get when did you get like your first guitar uh I got it probably when I was like 10 or something but I didn't really touch it I I I started playing guitar in high school like in grade 11 I took piano lessons as a kid but I was actually really into sports so I played a lot of baseball and basketball uh like baseball at Christie Pitts in downtown Toronto that's cool, like, yeah. like the home field and sure. I, I love I love basketball but yeah definitely in high school um I transitioned and started I started dating a girl and she was really into like it would have been 2002 uh, I was in grade no grade 11 2003 so uh she and she was like really into simple plan and some 41 <laughs> it was like that it was like the height of like pop punk sure and, yeah. and like a lot of guitar based music and so that that had me picking up a guitar and uh so I'd go I went back and learned a bunch of Beatles songs and then a bunch of you know some 41 and blink 182 uh songs and and uh I started playing with dudes in my high school and the talent show and I really had the bug and I decided that I want to expand my like musical community. And I figured if I went away to university, I'd get to meet a bunch of people from not necessarily my neighborhood. So I ended up going to McMaster. And from there, that's where I met, uh, met Mike and Nick who are in the band today, uh, like on the first and second day of school. So I was, I was really lucky to find those guys, uh, immediately. Yeah. It's really cool. So, so when you were in high school, you were just kind of playing guitar, like, you know, working on your craft, you weren't, were you, were you playing in bands? Yeah, actually, my, my next door, my neighbor across the street, two brothers, uh, one was older, one was younger, and Alex played guitar, Eli played drums, and their mom was nice enough to let us, like, set up in their basement and jam. So there's definitely some, like, old videos, I could probably track one down and send it to, of us jamming in their basement. Uh, and, like, you know, everything from, like, Jimi Hendrix to the Beatles to... Weezer uh, sweater song. Actually, we played a talent show at their high school. They went to another high school, and uh, it was a two song set. We opened with sweater song, and we um, were all wearing sweaters, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, and then we t- took off the sweaters to reveal yellow t shirts, and we played "Yellow" by Coldplay, which you was a big pull, song. You didn't pull the thread as I walk away to take the uh, <laughs> that would have been the, right? the, the best costume change ever. Ah, shit, yeah. 
<laughs> yellow by Col- you really wore yellow sh- yellow shirts when you played yellow by Coldplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I was that's... into the wardrobe changes back then. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's so that's super funny. Well, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, it's funny, you know, like uh, a lot of our listeners, most of them are American. Um, yeah, your country. Actually, spot. one of your the country stuff, stuff. Sorry, um, sorry. What were you yeah. saying? Go ahead. <laughs> Somebody um, came to a show recently because they heard Frank on your podcast talk about us. Crazy. So I, I forget what show it was, but uh, no, you know, it was Nashville. Somebody came to the oh, Nashville yeah. show. So shout out to the dude who I met at the Nashville show who uh, heard about it through your podcast. So thank no, you. It's wild, man. The people that listen to this shit are like super into it, and like they really care. And they're very much looking for new music and different music. And whenever I'm, I'm talking to like a buddy or someone in a band, I'm like, you know, you spend an hour of your day and talk to me. You're probably going to have a good time doing my show. <laughs> uh, and you're going to get something out of it. Like this isn't something just throw away. Like I guarantee you people are going to check out your band because of this. Um, you know, and it's it really is worthwhile. I don't know what it is, if it's partly to do with the, the long format of a podcast, um, if it just happens to be the fans of the show. I don't know what it is, but but I'm really proud of that. How, no, but how- doesn't that bl- I love that, first of all. I, love, I think the long form uh, conversations with a host that you trust, yeah. it, it, like it makes such a difference. But doesn't it blow your mind that there's somebody, that there's like random kids out there that are like in Nashville, like listening to this. Like, I, I always like that's still the novelty <laughs> of that still is exciting to me. I don't know. Like, I don't like, I know it, it probably goes away over time or the more successful you get, but there's still a part of me that's like, oh, that's so great. That's well, so cool. <laughs> you know, you know, what's really cool. I think, you know, and, and I started this, um, all access club it's called, which is like basically like a kind of like a VIP program where people can contribute some money each month and they get some perks and stuff. So now we're all on a Facebook group together and we're all on there chatting and and it's really cool because yeah, you mentioned there's somebody from Nashville. Well, there's people from New Zealand and Australia and Germany and the UK. And then there's people from Texas and people from Minnesota and people from South Carolina, like people from all these different cultures somehow are coming together, um, you know, to listen to this show and me talk about pretty much about music, but really we talk about everything. And yet somehow all those people get so much out of it that they're willing to, you know, pay their hard earned money to be a part of this thing, which, which is really, really cool because, you know, let's be, let's face it. You've traveled the world. Like, you know, how different, different places and cultures and people can be. So, but you know, I think that I totally agree. But and I also think that's one of the things I admire about, like, sort of like the punk community is that there are people that share that interest and that that feeling that like punk music offers all around the world. So you could be from Nashville, you could be from Singapore, you could be from Berlin, but there's like a common feeling that that the, like the scene that like you're a part of represents, which I think is a yeah. beautiful thing. I no, think it's it like. That's a very unifying thing to me, and and like our music is a little more like pop, like mm, it has more of a pop bent to it, like or just a populist, like 
what am I trying to say? It's, it's definitely not like quite as like niche as punk, if you want to call them punk a niche, which is not quite. But um, and so I don't know if you get that kind of personality in like in an Arkell's listener or that. Or I shouldn't say that. That's a sense of community in every different place because there's like maybe I don't know an Arkell's equivalent in Germany. But I, I, I really love <sighs> it's. It's really your band is really hard to figure out like because we're a tweener band like the problem yeah. is, is that like we have so many different influences and we sort of land somewhere in the middle so um yeah but it's anyway i really love how you can go around the world and there's like a punk scene uh that that embody uh, a similar spirit yeah. no it is you know it in, is. in every continent absolutely it is really cool um okay so back to kensington uh growing up yeah. in kensington market market which for a lot of the american um listeners uh they might they're not really understand what that is now it's it's right in downtown Toronto, and it's kind of like this sort of weird, like kind of very hippie, very like like you know left um, little I don't know couple blocks. Yeah, and it's like it's, it's strange. It's kind of strange. It is for you to grow up there. That must have been that's unique. Like you say, oh my story is not that interesting. That's such a weird place to grow up. And not only that, but like most of the people I interview are from like Ohio and they grew up in the suburbs where like, you know, they're driving to a guitar center in their mom's minivan to get their first guitar and then they, you know what I mean? And they have like a, um, you know what I mean? Like that kind of a thing. Whereas you're like in the city, like I, I'm surprised you were even able to play music in a basement in Kensington Market. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, it's way harder when you're in downtown Toronto to like, to, to do it, you know? Yeah, well, uh, a couple things like so. Kensington Market, yeah, there's like little like grocery shops, and there's vintage stores, and there's like the cannabis store, and there's like a uh, vintage guitar place. It's really like Paul's eclectic. boutique. Paul's boutique, yeah. I used to go in there and bug Paul like once a week. <laughs> <laughs> God bless Paul, nice guy. Um, but uh, it's right next to Chinatown, and the area. It's when I was growing up, especially. It's sort of kind of in between Chinatown and like Little Italy and Little Portugal. So there's actually not that many like straight up like middle class white people there now. There are there's a lot more because like the area has gotten a little bit more expensive and generally more gentrified. But yeah. 20 years ago when I was growing up, like I was actually looking at a photo from my grade eight graduation, and like. I was like out of, I don't know, 250 kids. I was like maybe one of like 17 white kids. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Asians that went to our school. And anyway, one, I think it made me sort of just appreciate like the differences in, you know, different people and, and like the struggles that people have in their lives. And like the fact that most of those kids were like first generation Canadians and their parents worked their ass off to come to Toronto and to, to try to start like a great life for their family. Number sure. one, number two. Um, and I think this also applied to my high school experience is that there, like, I know most like traditional, like American high schools when it comes to like white suburban high schools, like there are, there is this real hierarchy that exists and cliques and uh, a social order. That is a very stressful thing for a lot of, I think teenagers to, to go through. Absolutely. But, and, and and I think that's where like a lot of like good punk music probably stems from originally because like you, maybe you're one of <laughs> one of the outcasts and you like yeah. need to just go into your garage and plug in your guitar and scream your face off, which I think is very cathartic and and I think there's there's definitely like a narrative that exists for a lot of punk bands that have started in suburban garages, which makes a, a, so much sense to me. But for me, because like every because there's so many different uh, racial 
backgrounds in my school, nobody really gave a shit about what the other people were doing. Like there wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, there's the pretty white girl who's that, like the pretty white blonde girl who's like at the top of the totem pole. Everyone's like, I don't give a shit. And it was, it was very healthy, I think. I think people just sort of like living side by side and not really worrying about like kind of stupid North American conventions when it comes to like the high school experience. Actually, I think was was a very good experience for me to have because I didn't I never really had that like sense of like social loneliness or pressure that I think a lot of other like white kids middle class white kids get yeah <laughs> like I don't know does that make sense to you I, it does make sense to me and I I, I know it's I unusual mean, but here's yeah, the here's know. the funny part is I'm thirty minutes from you in Oakville going to high school and like you know. There's probably 17 – well, no, we had quite a few Asian and, and Indian people and stuff, but mostly white. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mostly went to a white, a white high school, and I'd say we did have that. That, you know, you talk about the white girl, beauty queen, totem pole. We did have that. Absolutely. That's you what know? I'm saying. It's like and – I, and I know friends, yeah, who went to schools like in a different area of the city, and they totally had that. But just my particular high school, yeah. being, being where it was in between Little Italy, Chinatown, Kensington Market – uh, it just it's like no one I, I just think that everybody like kind of minded their own business and got along <laughs> it's kind of nice. funny because most people would think oh you're in an inner city school like it's going to be more there's gonna be more it's gonna be more dangerous or it's going to be more of those problems and in fact it's the opposite which is crazy you know what i mean no totally and don't get me wrong there, there probably are there definitely are some like inner city schools that are tough and you know have their own set of problems yep. but um yeah, but for, like I, I just have, I just found myself in this like nice little like uh, kind of serene place. At least for me, I don't know. I I, I thought it was no, I great. thought it was like a good experience. So you had a pretty good high school experience overall. Yeah, and I think it's sort of my nature too. Like my dad, who's probably like one of my greatest role models. He's like a very I don't know gentle sweet guy like he he's he's a he was a social worker for many years and he ran like a a group home for teenagers for like 20 years in toronto and is like you know just like uh he's really into music he's really into sports he's really into like mental health and he like organizes conferences now and um that's awesome yeah he's a very sort of like present kind of guy um and I, I definitely take from from his personality, uh, and 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 I feel I'm lucky. I think in that regard because uh, I know some people are born into tough situations or inherit characteristics from their parents that like are make life a little bit harder. Say, but I was de- definitely like if if I I like to think I have a pretty sunny disposition, and, and I definitely I think you know I was lucky when it co- when it comes to inheriting that from from my yeah, dad. Absolutely. So um. Uh, back to the band. Um, so, you, you know, you, you say you went to college in Hamilton, which for the listeners, it's about uh, an hour maybe from Toronto. Yeah. Um, and and um, you started, you say you met the guys on the first day and you, you started a band, a serious band, but it must have also been kind of weird because you're starting out something in college where you're trying to, you know, get an education. You're trying to obviously have to pay attention in class and everything. But then all of a sudden you have a, like a distraction right away, which is a band. Like how, how serious was the band right away? Um, or, or was it just kind of for fun and then it kind of morphed into something more more serious? Um, 
I think we all took it seriously in the way that young people take things seriously if, they, if they're excited about it. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're young, it's pretty easy to get like wrapped up into something um, and, and like really want to do a good job and you're living and breathing it. Um, yeah. But that said, we were very like realistic with like the chances of it ever be becoming anything. So I think everybody had like a bit of a backup plan and yeah. You know, Mike and Nick are, are really smart guys, and they're they're kind of like academic types, to be honest. Like, I'm not so much. Like, I can kind of get by my <laughs> in school with like with nothing more than a B plus, but normally like a C plus, B minus kind of guy. Like, without trying particularly hard or giving a shit. Um, but those guys could could have gone to grad school, and that would have suited them, I think, just fine. But um, but we all love playing the band and we'd play, we'd gig like every weekend. We'd go to St. Catharines, go to Guelph. We took like the Greyhound to London, Ontario, which is like a, a couple hours away from Hamilton just to play a gig. We took the go bus into Toronto to play the silver dollar. So we definitely like, like with all your gear, like you brought your yeah, gear on the Greyhound we, bus. Yeah. We put a bunch of stuff underneath <laughs> the go bus, like, you know, in the compartment underneath. <laughs> That's crazy. You're touring on a bus and so you're still a local band. Yeah, exactly. We are a bus band, man. <laughs> That's right uh that's funny actually so um we but it, the timing worked out so well so we, we like played in the battle of the bands uh like in our first year and we came in second we lost to like an awesome hilarious ska band called the johnstones do you know those guys i do know them yeah yeah at the time they're like the rage and they're like to put on the craziest shows and i we were just sort of like watching with our mouths on the floor just like what is going on but it was very like it was actually like a good lesson in showmanship i'd say but um we carried on and we we play as much as we could and we i, I remember like in third year uh, we, like we're like all right we need to make an ep uh and like you know have something you know to sell that we're proud of and we went out to scarborough over a couple of days to record it but drove back at midnight every night and then would, would write essays from like oh, midnight geez. to to 8 a.m., hand yeah. it in, and then go back to Scarborough. So it was like one of those things I look back on going, Jesus Christ, like what a dumb thing. Like I don't know if I'd do that today. That just seems like insane to me. Like, But when you're young and you're taking things seriously and you're really passionate about it, you'll do crazy shit, as you know. Like yeah. I'm sure you've done no, crazy absolutely. things. I have similar stories of when I was – because I went to University of Guelph. And it was the same thing. The band was, was starting to happen. And, um, yeah, and I had to make, I couldn't make a choice. I, I, you know what I mean? I couldn't just do the band cause that was stupid. It's like, well, it's a band. Like it's never going to work out. But then if I was to just do school and quit the band, then it wouldn't be like, you know, it wouldn't be my passion. So it sounds like you're going through exactly the same thing at this point. Exactly. Exactly. So where we got really fucking lucky is that in, uh, I want to say about, so, okay, in the summer going into fourth year university, so this would have been 2007, yep. we played North by Northeast, which is a cool kind of indie music festival in Toronto for your listeners. And we, we were on like the one o'clock in the afternoon spot at Young and Nanas Square, which is like the big open air square right in downtown Toronto. It was a pretty unremarkable set as far as I can remember. There weren't many people there. We didn't think anything of it. But... A fellow named Sean Creamer, who's the owner of the Dakota Tavern, which is like one of the coolest music hangouts in Toronto, which is, has like Very live cool music right seven nights a week, right on Ossington. It's like capacity 75. He happened to be walking by and he happened to like what he heard and decided to buy like 
all of our EPs. Like we, I think we went to the merch table and we're like, where did, did we really sell everything? And the, the merch girl was like, Hey, you sold all of them. So we felt good about that. We didn't know that this one guy had bought all of them. Weird. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then what he had done in the following couple of months is just handed them out to music people in the industry that were hanging around at his bar. So this is without telling you or talking to without you. even telling us just, just <laughs> without even just, just as a good deed, just cause yeah. he liked what he heard he must have listened to the EP at home. This is the EP we would have like recorded probably in Scarborough. <laughs> and um, Joel Carrier got his hands on it. And Joel yep. is like the mastermind behind Alexis on Fire and Dallas Green, Sitting yep. Color. Dino Alone Records. Dino Alone records. records. Yeah. So he's, are you with New Damage, by the way? Yes, we are. Oh, there you go. I was okay. just hanging so, out with Joel. I was hanging out with Joel two days ago. We were watching Monine yeah. together, rocking out. Oh, at least Palace yeah. for the reunion right. shows. It was a full blast. That's, That's crazy. Right. Oh, yep. man. How, how were those shows, by the way? Uh, I went I went uh, to the one uh, on Wednesday, and I'm going tonight. Oh, fucking and right. Alex That's... on Fire is playing tonight. So, Are you kidding me? Yeah, no, they're playing. Holy shit. Yeah, it's like a secret set. Yeah. Oh, my God. I almost want to go now. Go. Fuck, go. I'm sure you can Maybe. find a way in. Oh, yeah. If I, I, had a plus, I don't even have a plus one. If I had a plus one, I'd... I'd uh, I take you, but oh shit, that sounds amazing. Okay, you well, fight, hey, okay. fuck you, finagle your way in. If you can, yeah, sneak, yeah. I heard you snuck into a, a NCAA basketball game once. So if you can do that, <laughs> you can you definitely. Oh, I do my research, dude. Uh, uh, no, I, I um, <laughs> I if you can do that, you can definitely sneak into fucking Lee's Palace. I'll just open the back door for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so um, Joel ended up hearing the EP because Sean Creamer that uh, gave it to him at the Dakota and emailed us on MySpace, messaged us on MySpace. It was like, Hey, heard your song on the way to work today. Fucking love it. Let's try to connect. And then we ended up playing a show a couple months later at the Dakota and Joel came to the show. And like from that night we started working with them and we told them that we were about three months away from graduating because it was probably like right. December, January. So we said, Hey, just give us till like March, April, and then we're all yours. And so we made our moms happy and we graduated with go. like a four, four year degree. And then from there, we just started touring and we've sort of been touring ever since. And the reason why I say it's really lucky is because a lot of bands, a lot of people who are really interested in music, fit, like, you know, finish their college degree. And then spend this, like, you know, that age, like 21 to 24, sort of puttering around, not sure what to do, uh, you know, that their parents are putting pressure on them to find yeah. a real job and yeah. you're working at a, you know, restaurant or whatever. But for us, the fact that we kind of got to get right in, right on the saddle and like just go for it made our lives yeah. a lot easier because we just had momentum from the get go, which was, which I, which I'm very aware of how fortunate that is because that's uh, i think somewhat unusual no it's cool i, I love the story and, and again um it's almost the same as my story except i was in guelph and it was victory records that called and i was just at the end of my second year so that was a harder decision for Ooh, me because yeah because yeah, i had to drop out so i never finished my degree i did about two and a half years and uh i dropped out so that you know when you say make your mom mom's happy yeah my parents were a little like like i mean they watched me play music you know my whole life and every time i ever had a birthday or christmas present it was like a new piece of gear or something i wanted you know what i mean that kind of thing music was my life so they weren't going to take it away from me but at the same time they were like uh so you're gonna go you're gonna drop out of school and and tour in a van you know 
And I'm like, yep. <laughs> and they were like, all right, we're not going to tell you not to. So it was a much, much harder thing. So in, in some ways, you're lucky that it happened when it did. If it happened a year before, who knows if everybody in your band would have been on board. Well, this is the thing. I totally, uh, that's why we're so lucky. And, you know, well, first of all, all's well that ends well with you and Silverstein. <laughs> sure. You know, you, sure. you made and a you life too. out of it. And you too. And, that, and that's great. But I'll tell you this. So my dad, and my mom was the one who was apprehensive. My dad sort of like, you know, as I said, easygoing and very trustworthy of me and assumed I'd figure it out one way or another. My mom is definitely more like worried mom yeah. type. Yep. <laughs> and sure. What as she, my dad, I guess, well, I guess when my mom and dad started dating, like back in the late seventies, my dad had a friend named Steve. I forget Steve's last name, but Steve was like a bohemian bum that fancied himself a musician that lived in Kensington Market, but basically lived off his parents' money. Like, cause he came from a rich family, uh-huh. but pretended to be a musician, never made any money for himself, was just constantly asking his parents for dough. And my mom was like worried, like in her very worried motherly. That you were going to be that guy. That I'd be Steve. (laughs) So for the first few years of the band, she was like, she's like very cautious about like, okay, it sounds like it's going okay. Like with a quiver in her voice. Um, Now it's all good. And she's, she she trusts everything is fine. But uh, she was very worried that I'd become Steve, (laughs) which is funny. So funny, man. Um, So funny. Um, yeah, but no, actually, that's... one other one other funny little anecdote about that last uh, half year, like from the end of fourth year, we were called Charlemagne at the time. Uh, we haven't always been Arkell, so we our, our original college band name was Charlemagne, which is an equally fucking meaningless dumb name. <laughs> but um, we had gotten a MySpace notice from another Charlemagne who was based in Wisconsin, like threatening, <laughs> th- threatening to sue us. He said, he was going to like, I'm going to send you a cease and desist letter unless you drop that name. Right. And, and so we're like, Oh shit, you know, this guy, he has more MySpace followers than us. We, we, we don't want to get sued for our $200 that's in the bank account. Um, <laughs> so, and when Joel saw us, he saw us as Charlemagne. And one of the, the first things he was going to do for us was, put a flyer in the new city and color album that was going to be coming out that year in 2008. Oh. So he, I think he sent us an email saying, Hey, by the way, this thing that we're doing it, check out this flyer. It looks pretty cool. We're going to press go. Is that cool? So we had to call him and we said, Joel, this is amazing, but uh, we have to change our name. We, there's something we didn't tell you. There's another Charlemagne. We need to change the name. And he said, Oh, okay. Uh, what's the new name going to be? This thing's going to the printer in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I still remember to this day, I was at this, the school library, Mills Library at uh, McMaster. And I was like, uh, I'll call you back. And I hung up the phone and frantically called the guys. <laughs> and, and I was like, Guys, what are we going to do? And we've been putting off the decision. We'd come up with a million bad replacement names. We couldn't come up with anything. And uh, we settled on our Kells. Because Mike and I lived on Arkell Street, and we thought it sounded like a girl's like fifties doo-wop name, like the Shirelles. Yeah, the it does. Yeah, it does. And so it kind of had that vibe to it, and uh, and so we called him back like fifty minutes later. Uh, Arkells, what do you think? And he's like, okay, works for me. <laughs> That's uh, from that day on. We were the Arkells. <laughs> works. For, do you like the band name? Well, nah, works for me. <laughs> works for me. We got We have this printer thing set up. That's and, such and, a that's such a great story. I love that story so much. That's funny. No, even our band name was one of those. We had a we had a show. We needed a name. It's five dumb guys looking around the room, and I saw Silverstein, Shell Silverstein book on the ground, and was like, I don't know, Silverstein. Like pointed at it, and everyone's like, Okay, and that was it. You know, it's funny. It's funny how like these you know these um, band names just kind of come out of 
I don't know. The band Are name story. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, and that's. But believe me, when we used to go to um, Spadina Jobbers to get our blank shirts, do you remember that place? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was run by run by a Jewish family. They used to like give us the the bro deal because I think they thought we were Jewish. Oh, did you, so, did, did you mean the tribe deal? You get you're part of you're a member of the tribe. That's oh, what the Jews call oh, themselves. Okay, yeah, yeah, I guess I guess so. See, I don't even I, know, that I don't even know that Jewish terminology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually. Unrelated, and you and you can cut this if you want. But my, do you know Aaron Goldstein? Do you know that that guy? He's an old. He's a, he plays pedal steel. He's like a bearded fella. I, think I, I know the name. I know the name. He, for he's sure. he's an awesome guy. He's like one of my oldest music friends, and he just opened a studio on Baldwin in downtown Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he's Aaron Goldstein. His business partner's Abe uh, Abe Levy. <laughs> so two very Jewish sounding names. Very yes. And, and their studios on Baldwin Street in a building owned by Silverstein's Bakery because then yes. the Silverstein's Bakery owns that whole block. And th- there's literally a bagel oven in the studio. <laughs> 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 so it's Levy and Goldstein in Silverstein's Bakery with a fucking bagel oven. How yeah, great is that? That's crazy. Uh, well, you know, the Silverstein Bakery <laughs> is no more. I know they just which moved is, somewhat recently, right? Which is crazy, and, and it's funny because like our whole well, when we got, when we started the name, we didn't know about the Silverstein Bakery, but of course, like right after, um, everyone's like, "Oh, it's just bakery. It's been around for like a hundred years. Everyone knows this bakery." We're like, "Oh, I don't know. We didn't know." And it's funny how somehow our band, our stupid band, outlasted the the bakery. It's like a tra- <laughs> Toronto tradition, you know. That is all. Hey, sixteen years, man. That's uh, there you go. That's a long time for yeah. any band. <laughs> We got to take a quick break to hear about our sponsor, Loot Crate, but we'll be right back with more from me and Max. If you've been listening to the show the last couple months, you're going to know all about this. However, if you're a little behind, like some people tend to get, it's okay. Listen up because we have a great sponsor that's super supportive of the show, super supportive of me, and they're doing some absolutely rad things. If you're into nerdy stuff, I mean, I'm a geek. It's just who I am. I accept it. If you're into retro video games, if you're into cult movies, if you're level 28 on Pokemon Go like me, if you're into graphic novels, whatever it is, you got to check out Loot Crate. Basically, it's a subscription service. You get this really, really cool box sent to your house every month, and it's like 20 bucks, and it's really, really rad. The stuff they send is awesome. I got a couple right here. They do a great job. So if you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles... Loot Crate brings you between four and six of the coolest curated mystery items every month straight to your doorstep. It's the best surprise you know is coming. This month's crate theme is Origins. We have awesome and exclusive items from your old school favorites. This January, see where it all started and explore the iconic Origins with historic items featuring Superman, Captain America, Mario, God, I love Mario, And of course, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, including, as always, our monthly t-shirt and pin. Now, here is how it works. You have until the 19th, January 19th, at 9 p.m. Pacific, that's midnight Eastern, to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And when that cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. No more origins for you. So make sure you you get on that. We're getting to that point. We got a couple days, but... But make sure you sign up. So head over to lootcrate.com slash leadsinger and enter the promo code leadsinger to save $3 off any new subscription today. So again, that's lootcrate.com slash leadsinger. Enter promo code leadsinger. And it's coming straight to you and it's awesome. 
We haven't talked a lot about singing, and this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast. Um, <laughs> and I want to ask you a little bit about your voice because you have a, you have kind of a unique style, and it's sort of like you are kind of going more for. And I'm totally guessing, and I could be wrong. It's almost like you're kind of going for a vibe of of in terms of your voice, rather than just trying to be this fucking belting out shredder of a singer do you know what i mean would you say that's accurate yeah i mean (laughs) i wish um here's what i'd say is that i'm definitely technically not a good singer like in terms of like real crooners or guys that have like really powerful pipes i don't think i put myself in that category so what i've always relied on is the is this idea that people just like an original voice so like an original voice yeah. is in many ways more important than being technically a good singer like bob dylan isn't technically a good singer but he's unique and he's it's uniquely him singing so Absolutely. um i used to be kind of you know especially in the early days very insecure about the sound of my voice because i was like it didn't sound as good in playback as it did in my head and i'm like oh god is that how i actually sound right but right. but over time you know, I realized that there are many other ingredients that go into uh, how people perceive your voice as a, compared to just the singular sound of your voice. A lot of it has to do with what you're saying, the kind of music it's matched up with, uh, the sort of swagger you can put into it. And, um, you know, and so for me, that's like, I, I, I don't fret too much about the fact that like, I'm not necessarily the best singer, but if you own it, if you own what you're doing, especially yeah. in the in the business of rock and roll, you can get by. Absolutely, but it's it's almost like I just I just feel like you're such a vibe singer, and like even when you're you like your live show too. And now we talked a little bit about your live shows um, earlier, and I think people need to see your band live to get it. Totally, and it, there's something about it where you're like you're. You're, you're like up there and you're like cool, but at the same time, you're just being honest. Like you don't kind of don't give a fuck, but then you're, you care about what you're saying. And it's like this sort of like, I care and I don't care at the same time to where it's just like honest and, and it works. And I feel like singing wise, you're going to give the people watching you what they need. Is that ever something you, you think you think about? Like, like it's like I want all these people in here to leave with what they needed, with what they came for, and I feel like that's what you're trying to deliver. Yeah, totally. Well, I definitely think that. Um, I say, you know what? I heard an interesting thing in, in another podcast actually about interviewing, but I think it applies to a live show uh, in a certain degree. It's like because uh, because this uh, this interview uh, this podcast host, his name's Ezra Klein. He said. That if you're kind of jovial and easygoing with a guest, that's what they'll give back to you. If you're serious with a guest, they'll be serious back. If yeah, you're, if, yeah. you're, if you ask short, curt questions, they'll give you short, curt answers. So I think with um, with our live show, I want to convey a sense of like fun, of, of like a passion, of community. I, I want it to be inclusive. I want uh, people to dance. And so I think it's up to me to set the tone. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so, you know, I, I, and I think you, and, it, it, and you know, in the first couple of songs, especially if you're playing to maybe a new crowd, people don't know exactly what protocol is yet because they've never seen you. But so it's up to you to go, okay, when, during, during this set, we're going to sing, we're going to dance, 
we're going to be we're going to be earnest. We're going to give a shit, but we're also going to have a sense of humor. We're going to have fun. And those are all elements of who I am and what's in the songs. So it's up to me to be like the conductor on a certain level. That's my main job. Yeah, like I like my, that. My, uh, conductor is a good term for it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like so as a singer, I think I try to inject like all those sensibilities uh, into my performance, especially live, yeah. uh, because because that's what I want back. And now the coolest thing is is that the for me. Um, we've built up a rapport with our audience as you guys have with your audience where it's like, you don't even need to instruct them anymore. Like right, it's, right. it's not, it's, it's not as hard as it used to be because you're going to go. And then it, it gives you more freedom to be even crazier. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, um, you know, people who have been to, you know, 30 Arkell shows like, no, you know, we're, we're going to give a shit. We're going to be good to each other. We're going to sing our hearts out. We're going to dance. And, uh, and that's like so fun to have like developed that relationship with the audience, but that comes from us leading, leading the charge, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and lyrically, um, you know, you write a lot of great lyrics and I, I feel like that's one thing that you do, um, better than most of the other mainstream, you know, radio bands or whatever. Uh, and I know you're a big, like hold steady fan, um, totally. You know, and you take a lot of, of, of influence from, you know, storytellers and stuff like that. Um, I want to ask you one specific thing. I mean, obviously, um, your big song, Private Schools. Yeah. You had to change the words, right, for radio? Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. because there's a, uh, well, a fuck off is the, yeah. the, the main line in the chorus. <laughs> um, now, I got to ask you, because obviously lyrics are important to you, but obviously there's the success of the band and the whole thing. And any time there's a radio edit, and I've talked to some other people on the show about it, I always want to know what the process was. Like, you know, you write a song. When does the conversation come? Is it like with the band? Is it with the label? Is it when you guys actually go for radio? Like, when does that happen when you're like, fuck, yeah, you have to change this That's a good question. Um, well, we never know what song the label is going to choose as a single. So we, we, so if there's a swear word in there or whatever, we don't really think too hard about it because it's a good chance it, it won't be a single. <laughs> um, but once it got to the point with private school, that that would be the single, like the lead single and the, and the main lyric in the course is ah, fuck off. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we weren't too precious about it. I understand when some acts are, but like, I personally, like I, t- I take the songs really seriously. I take songwriting really seriously. It's like the thing that keeps me up at night. Uh, but I don't take, I don't take everything so seriously. It's like, so, so some label that we're working with is really excited about a song like private school and, and is going to, you know, commit their time and some of their money to, to try to make it a successful song on the radio. Then, then I, I think I'd like to play ball with them. Like I I don't, I'm not so serious where I'm going to, go no you can't compromise my art this is like a, this this is not like geopolitics or something it's a fucking rock and roll song so if if they're really excited about this song and think it has potential um and i have to change the lyrics from fuck off to um come on and it stays as fuck off on the album version yeah then whatever that's fine with me uh, i like i'm not overly precious but i know what you're saying because i i'm always curious about um that, that conversation when you hear radio edits uh and there's a song by the weekend that's on the radio right now it's like because the, and the lyric is i'm a motherfucking star boy uh <laughs> have you have, have you heard the i haven't radio heard edit it now? no i love the weekend I, yeah so the radio edit is he, he goes i'm a i'm a i'm a star boy <laughs> so they just right, repeat, right, right, right. i'm but, a i'm a i'm a <laughs> but yeah but you know what the, the thing is is like you say you say oh well i don't know 
what song's going to be the single or whatever. But like, did, does that mean you went back in the studio and re-recorded that line, or did you yeah, have we, the foresight to do it while you were still? No, we the had album? to go re-record it. We um, I happened uh, we did that song in L.A. and I had to go like yeah, bang up the chorus. It only it was it was easy enough. Like uh, the, the guy Brian Brian West who produced the, the track, really nice guy. Um, we I just popped by. It literally took like an hour. Or yeah, something. it's just, it's funny. Yeah, you like go through actual work. To, to you know what I mean to admit to compromise your art <laughs> you know yeah it's just like a funny thing and I, I wonder like yeah the weekend probably was like oh what do I have to do yeah whatever I'm 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 it's <laughs> so funny and it probably happens more often than you think yeah uh, but uh, we definitely absolutely. had some conversations about like okay is it I forgot or instead of I fuck off fuck off like I was like oh that doesn't really make sense like it, no, we'd no. To the, <laughs> yeah we had gotten to the point where we were like very happy with the song. The, the heart and soul of the song was was still intact. And if we have to change the lyric, and actually, you know, it's become a, a, like a live bit in the song where, like, at the show, go before the last chorus and like in the breakdown, I'll go look on the radio. You might know it as Ah, come on. But amongst friends, when I'm at, when I'm at a party with friends, there I go, go Ah, fuck off. And you know, that's another thing. Like doors open for you in this business in very strange and unusual and special ways sometimes. So it's like the fact that we had to make that radio edit gave me a live bit, which is cool, which I think is awesome. That's the way I choose. I at least choose to look at it. Yeah, and you're addressing it so that anybody that heard the song on the radio and now, you know what I mean? You're like, you're saying it is what it is, you know? And I, I, I respect that a lot. Um, all right, man. Well, I, I, I don't want to keep too much more of your time. I do want to talk a little bit of Raptors basketball because I know you're a big <laughs> fan. Um, yeah. And I'm a huge fan myself. And um, what do you think is going to happen with the, um, with the team? Are they getting new players? Can they actually beat Cleveland? What do you think is going to happen? Well, uh, the short of it is I don't think we can beat Cleveland with our current roster. I'm really excited with the way uh, DeRozan's – played this year and Lowry. Yeah, you were a bit critical as, of DeRozan. I, I was critical. I, I know you were quite critical. <laughs> yeah, DeRozan just something about his game has never really pleased my eyes. I don't know. It's like well, I hey, love when you're taking like a nineteen foot two point shot. It's like yeah, can't you just step a few feet further back and make it worth an extra fifty percent points? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and his handle wasn't great. He's gotten yeah. a little better, but he'd lose the ball like he never seemed to be the most like savvy passer. Like, you know, there's mm-hmm. guys like James Harden or like Dwayne Wade, who just like have such good court sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and DeRozan never struck me as that kind of guy either. So, but he's really improved this year. Kyle's oh, yeah. really good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't think anything really changes unless we get like Millsap or like a, a really, another premier guy um, yeah. in the I starting always, lineup. I always said we're one player away. Yeah, and and I, uh, I think you know, and then and then what the Cavs went out and got Kyle Korver. I know, like, dude, fuck that's crazy. Off. Ah, From fuck Mike off, Levy, Are you fucking kidding? <laughs> that's crazy. But you know what? As somebody who um, is finding like the Warriors almost to be boring at this point because they're so fucking good. Yeah, I'm really glad the Cavs got another shooter because I think it'll make that series a little more interesting. Because I mean, I'm Jeez, assuming you're already calling the NBA championship. I mean, there's yeah, some other teams out there that could that could who pull do you it like? off. Uh, well, I, I always like San Antonio. I yeah, mean, yeah. You, you watch them, you never just, like them they just—they took the Raptors to school the other day. Like that was oh my god, that was ugly. 
I know, I know. It was you, totally you know the like, Raptors had eight assists in that whole ball game. Oh God, I did not know it was that. How few. is that even? I, is that a record? Eight assists? That's <laughs> fucked. I, I can't even believe it. But hey, man, I just I'm a big sports guy, and I know you are too. And uh, I'm actually going to the Leafs game tomorrow. I'm kind of getting. I'm, ne- I am I'm never also really going to the Leafs game tomorrow. Oh shit! Let's get a beer. I'll that's text awesome. you. Yeah, we'll meet in between an intermission. Absolutely, oh, that's let's get awesome. a beer. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Right, crazy, man. Well, hey, um. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, always working. So um, what's next uh, for Arkell? So tell the people. We are uh, going on tour with Frank Turner across North America. So um, you should come to the show. We're, yep. we're doing starting Jan 19th in D.C. Uh, and then like Philly and then kind of across through Cincinnati, Chicago, Denver, Phoenix, up the West Coast. And then... We're opening for Frank, and like Murder by Death is on that oh, run. And John, I love Murder by Death, man. I know, and John K. Sampson's on some of the dates. Really? It's like a pretty, yeah, pretty stacked bill from the week of That's dance. so and, cool. And then, uh, f- and then the, it flips, and Frank's opening for us across Canada. Yeah. So uh, well, we're uh, we're we're going to be doing any American like, listeners, drug. any American listeners listening to this? Uh, yeah, go find Max and tell him that you heard about um, his band on the podcast, and now you're a huge fan. Okay, go tell him. I would love that. Hey, are you around uh, Feb 10th? Because we're playing Hamilton. You should come. Uh, if you're absolutely. Around. 100%. Okay. I'll be Consider there. yourself on the guest list. It's, uh, right. it's going to be good. Would love, would love it. Dude, amazing. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. And um, yeah, man. All the best. Thank you. This is really fun. I really, I really love this. This is great. So there it is with Max. Awesome dude. Make sure you check out the Arkells on tour with Frank Turner. Like I said in the interview, you've got to see them live to really, to, you know, kind of get what they're doing. I think that that's really what it's all about with the Arkells. Next week, we'll be back on Monday. As always, make sure you're subscribed. If you like the show, go on iTunes, write a review, preferably five stars. All that stuff helps. And please, if you like the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is really what has helped this thing grow what has helped this thing spread. Also join the L-Access Club. Do that too. Thanks again, everybody. I'm going to leave you with a tune. As always, here's the song we mentioned in the podcast. It's called Private Schools. Here it is on Lead Singer Symphony. Peace and love. Private school girls, private school boys, playing games, expensive toys. Private school girls, private school boys, Don DeLillo wrote white notes. I tried so hard to find an end, but you weren't giving me anything. Come on now, throw me a line. It's a sign. Around you I feel like swine You're divine